are in Mark 6 as we continue on along in this grand book of Mark. And we're right on the heels of the rejection of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus being rejected? And who was He rejected by? His own hometown. His home people. And not only His hometown people, but His family. So that was quite the rejection. That's... uh, quite hard to believe whenever he had done so many miracles and the the amazing things that he had taught. So because of their unbelief, he was not healing and uh, he was not doing the miracles. Everything that he had been doing all over Galilee for the past year or so, and yet the people couldn't believe him. So he doesn't do any miracles there except for a few. And then we know that he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, now think of that, being amazed. I was talking with Bob earlier, you know, and it's quite a thought that God would be amazed or astonished at us. He's amazed at unbelief, but he also was amazed at belief of a Roman centurion, if you remember. And so when you think about that, he was, he was amazed, he was astonished. There's his humanity that's involved there with his deity and just quite the thought. Anyway, he left Nazareth, his hometown, where he grew up. He left it really for the last time. And uh, he moves on. He went out into the surrounding villages as the last verse said. And I don't even think we hit on that last week, but it was in verse 6. He was going around the villages teaching. So he got out of Nazareth, moved on. They didn't want him there. We know they had tried to kill him earlier. They did not appreciate him at all. And now we're looking at the third tour of the Galilean ministry. And so uh, when we back up, you, you can look in chapter 1, verse 14, and you can see it being kicked off there, and then later on in verse 30 in chapter 1. And now we have this uh, third tour of this. He uh, seemed to be restrained from his miracles and for all the things that he had uh, done there by his own hometown. But honestly, we find that in this section that we're dealing with today, the theme is divine power is being reproduced. Because it's going to be reproduced through the uh, disciples, the twelve. And uh, he has uh, now arrived, uh, arrived at, a, at a peak time in his ministry. It's a very important time. It's a a change, a turning point, because now he's going to get his 12 disciples doing ministry like they haven't done before. They've basically been hanging around him, watching what he has been doing. Now he's going to delegate his power to these 12 who have been following him so faithfully. So this this is quite a a turning point in, in ministry. And we're going to find out that they're going to be very effective in what they do as he delegates his power and authority and they will be teaching like he did and and healing. And they're going to be able to go to a lot of areas that just the whole group of them couldn't go. You know, they're going to be different people at different places when they go out. And before, Jesus was at one place. Now they're going to spread out all over Galilee by pairs and distribute the gospel and and do the healing and the casting out of demons and at the same time. They're going to do what He did. They're going to say the same things that He did. And He wants to uh, get these apostles prepared for the day that He would no longer be around them physically. We know spiritually He would be, uh, definitely. And we know that uh, the power of God's Spirit is always there, but uh, they're learning and they're preparing. They're going out to represent Jesus Christ in their persons. They're representing Him where they go. That's what He's doing. That's what He wants them to learn. So first, they will, they're with Him. And, you know, that was kind of good. It's kind of comfortable. So you have to first be with the Lord and then you go into service. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes young Christians just take right off and they start teaching in a class or doing something, and that's not really advisable. Uh, they need to learn. They need to sit at the feet of Christ and know who He is. And then service will come. That's the way the order should always be. Worship, then service. We worship God, and then we serve. Always that way. It's never vice versa. 
service is not the most important thing. Worship is. And it seems like the evangelical church of our day has gotten that confused. They think that uh, service is the most important thing. And they'll even say that. I've heard that many times, and that's not true. By splitting up the apostles and sending them out, Jesus is able to kind of diffuse the, the huge crowds. You remember the crowds were pressing in on him. It's almost like every week we've said this, haven't we? There they are. They, they're right there at him. They're, they're almost going to crush them. And he's had to get out into the boat to be able to teach. Uh, what a pulpit, right? Uh, a boat along the shore. That, that was for his safety for one reason. There were other reasons. But now he's going to take those disciples out and the crowds are going to kind of split up too. And so they're going to be able to cover a lot of areas and uh, a lot of people. There are going to be certain people that will follow certain disciples. They might be going back to their homes. So, hey, they might as well go along with them. It's a great strategy. Christ knows exactly what He's doing at the perfect time. And doesn't He always? Everything that He does is always in perfect timing. And the way it's done is, is just perfect. He wants to train these men, get them ready for a ministry that uh, is the most important thing the church could ever have as it uh, was being reproduced. You've, you've heard of uh, short-term missions? Well, this is a short-term mission. I'm going to send them out for a little bit, and they'll, they'll come back. And they're going to report back to the things that they were successful with, and then things that they probably didn't feel uh, too comfortable with or the challenges. And there's the teacher, Jesus. And He's going to give them further instructions. That's great to know, isn't it? Now, here's what you can do in this situation. I mean, one-on-one learning uh, there, that is incredible. Um, preparation. Anticipation, uh, eventually, of a full sending out of them. Well, before we get into the text, we'll get a little bit of application. We, too are ones who are sent. Like the apostles. We are not the apostles, but we are like the uh, apostles as we are delegates. We are representing Him. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're representing Him in a foreign place, aren't we? So we have the exact same message that they had 2,000 years ago. This message has not changed one iota. Nothing has changed. We get the same thing that they did. So we are representatives. We are heralds of this most important man who ever lived on the face of the earth and we are representing him. Do you know what that means? What a situation we've been put into, right? We are sent out to reach people with the Gospel, with the most important message that's ever been, for the most important man that's ever been, and it's crucial to everybody that has not believed yet. They uh, need our message. How vital it is on our parts to present this message that the apostles were summoned here as they were called to Jesus to go out and take. And we have that too. Did you know that is the highest calling of life? As we are called to worship Christ, we are called to be sent out to tell the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ. What a message we have. And we are to tell them of the repentance that is needed and faith in Him. That's what our message is. That's what they do. Uh, Let's go ahead and read our text here today. We're starting in verse 7, Mark 6. And He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and give them authority over the unclean spirits. And He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And He added, Do not put on two tunics. And He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons. And we're anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. That sounds like what Jesus does. So He sends them out. These guys are ordinary men. Twelve of them. Ordinary as can be. Nothing special about them. He picked fishermen. He picked uh, a tax collector. uh, A terrorist. Boy, I wonder how that went over. Uh, 
ordinary men to be His delegates representing Him to propagate the good news of the glory of Christ. And He didn't choose any other religious establishment. He didn't choose any other priests. He didn't choose any other rabbis. Uh, none of the elders. Synagogue officials. The lawyers. Pharisees. Sadducees. None of them. He didn't pick any of those guys. He picked people that you would never pick if you were in some kind of religious establishment or trying to get something going. You'd want some people surrounding you that have had experience and have been taught and have all the education. And uh, we know that that's not always, or really not the way that Jesus works here. So he's completely outside the religious establishment. And the reason for that is, is that it's corrupt. Why would he want anybody out of that establishment? As corrupt as could be. So when we look at this, as he has picked these guys, these ordinary men, once you think about it, implied in all this is that there is judgment and condemnation upon that religious establishment. And eventually there will be judgment and condemnation on the people of Israel. His own received him not. And eventually he brings judgment there. But he shows the whole system is apostate. He's not working within that system. We know that. And we know that same system is responsible for executing their very Savior. They're the ones who killed the Messiah. And so there will be a judgment upon this kind of Judaism. He doesn't need these men with their religious credentials. In fact, he doesn't need any man. I'm amazed that he would use any man, let alone me. Why would he do that? That's the way that he's chosen to bring forth his news to people. He uses people to bring it forth. And uh, that's rather incredible. What a privilege. He's given that to us. He gave it to them. It's all for his glory. Now, it's interesting. And he summoned, he called them. And of course, he's already called them. They've been following. Now he's telling them, okay, hey, come here. Here's what we have planned. And he sent them out in pairs. These are the twelve. And in the Bible, you'll see twelve quite uh, frequently. Of course, we have the twelve apostles here, right? Twelve tribes of Israel. How about the twelve foundation stones that we find in the book of Revelation? The twelve gates. The twelve pearls? Twelve. Twelve, right? So here is the twelve being mentioned here. The twelve. That means the apostles. uh, Symbols of what God is going to do working through this Israel of the ones that are trusting Him and dealing with the kingdom. They are going to be sitting on the twelve thrones. In that sense, they... uh, the ones who will rule. They have a tribe to rule. They're permanently put in this position. What a responsibility and leadership. Look in Luke chapter 22, verse 28. Luke 22, 28. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There he speaks right to the apostles. The twelve ruling the twelve tribes. What rulership? And then you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And there it's speaking about Christ being the cornerstone. And then he also says something about the apostles in Ephesians 2.20. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, were built on the foundation of the apostles. The prophets. They got the Word of God. They wrote the Word of God. They pinned it down. We have it here today. They are our foundation in that sense in that they gave the Word of God that was revealed to the church. And that's what he's talking about. God's household. 
God's household sits on a foundation. Foundation is this. Amen, right? So, these guys are sent out here as we see in Mark 6. Uh, the word for sent out is a good explanation of what they really are. He sent them. Apostale, apostle, we get that word out of the Greek there, to be sent. We're all sent, but these were special ones sent who got direct revelation from God, did the things that He did so that people would understand who this Christ was. Now, He sends them out in pairs. Why would He send them out in pairs? And I think there's probably a lot of good reasons. Why, why two by two? Well, for one thing, we can look in the Old Testament and see there's a legal sense here involved. Because if you look in uh, Deuteronomy, for instance, you'll find out that in the law it says there by two or three witnesses that the testimony be made. You can't just have one witness, but you must have two. And it's kind of interesting in our society today and in the law courts, you're to have witnesses, right? And if you have two witnesses, that can make it a lot more than what one is, right? Whenever they're in, in agreement. But two or three witnesses, what his law said. Um, so, could be that filling the, the law's requirements as they're in agreement with this Jesus that they're preaching about. Whenever you get together with somebody else or other people, let's say just to pray, have you ever felt strength in being able to pray with somebody else or others? You've heard the phrase strength in numbers? There's a lot to that. You know, we, uh, we like that when we have other people to be able to worship together, to be able to pray together, to, to serve together. And here they're operating in a service together that they haven't done before without Jesus. And it's good to know you have somebody along your side for that kind of thing, a strengthening. And I, I think another reason is that, I think you can probably find it in Ecclesiastes, um, probably the most simple and commonest reason that Jesus would do that would be that there would be encouragement, that there would be companionship, there would be cooperation in, involved in this. In Ecclesiastes, uh, the writer said this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And then Solomon tells us to go out with company to serve the Lord. We have assistance. We have comfort. We have a defense. Uh, I think in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, Ecclesiastes um, 3 uh, is even better than 2. Uh, the advantage, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Right? Put that string and then, then you tie another string. And another, now you've got something like a rope going here. Look at the strength you have there. That's why it's um, really important for God's people to be able to kind of to work together. So there's testimony, there's strength, there's encouragement involved in the, the idea that Jesus would send them out in twos. I kind of like that idea. What if you were sent out? You were to go to a place that might be kind of rough area to go to. Would you like to go by yourself? Or would you like to have somebody along with you, right? Jesus knows what He's doing here. By the way, when you look in the book of Acts, when you see Paul traveling, you usually think of Paul himself going out into the wilds and doing everything by himself. But he didn't do that. He always had people around him. Always he had people that were supporting him and working with him. Uh, Look in Luke chapter 7, verse 19. Jesus did this before with the two with two of them. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? Now, in this in this case here you have John the Baptist, who sends his disciples, two of them, together, to say, Hey, are are you the are you the Messiah for sure? You know? So there's John the Baptist. If you look at uh, later on in Acts 13, where you have, again, the apostles in a Gentile land, but Jews that he would be speaking to. 
and a lot of the Jews are not accepting his gospel where the Gentiles are. It's interesting. But Acts 13, 2 and 3. Now there were at Antioch, I'm reading it verse 1, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. They sent them away. So there's Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. Two of them there. Go a little bit further in chapter 15, verse 39. Here's the disagreement. There occurred such a sharp disagreement, they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him. Now you had Paul and Barnabas and Mark. Barnabas takes Mark with him, sails away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So there are twos again. It's bad that they have a disagreement, but it's good because in another sense, they're able to spread out even further and go out. So Paul and Silas now go out to later get arrested in the next chapter. (laughs) That's usually what happens, right? But it's, it's better to be arrested and having another person along with you than being arrested by yourself. Cooperation is what they had in serving the Lord. Fellowship. Great fellowship, isn't it? In serving at the same time. So now, we move from the pairs to the power. Back to Mark. I think we're still in uh, verse 7 there, chapter 6. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gave them authority. He gave them power. The power of Christ. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. This is about one who had been demon-possessed. Demon throws him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. There you go. A new teaching with authority, with power. They had never seen anything like this. No man had ever seen anything like this. And there were uh, many teachings of philosophies and such at that time, before Christ even. And nobody had heard stuff like this. What authority that He had. What power And He's sending them out in the power that He's had as they go out there. And that's what uh, is is amazing to me. uh, He's giving power to others. The power is being reproduced in these men. And He wanted them to serve Him in power. He wants us today to use that same power that the disciples had, that He had when He ministered the Gospel. Did you you ever think of that? You say, well, yeah, that's Jesus and He can speak much better than us and is more fluent and such. He knows the Word because He is the Word. But at the same time, we have the same message. We might stumble around a little bit and try to figure out how to deal with people, but uh, the power is there. The word for power is authority in my translation. Uh, He gave them authority to not only preach, but to exercise demons out of people. That's an incredible thing. Um, Chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the people marveled at the Lord Jesus because He cast out the devils. What kind of power is that? I mean, that is something they could see. It's one thing to heal somebody of a sickness. But then when a demon, which is the most powerful being outside of Christ in, in this universe. They're much stronger and mightier than any humans, right? And so when he's casting out these powerful demons, it shows what kind of power that he has. And of course, he's the one who created. Why couldn't he, right? No problem at all. But he's giving this kind of power to the disciples. And you know what? We may not go around casting out demons, 
we may not go around preaching with that same voice of Jesus, but the very authority of Jesus to spread out the gospel because of the adequacy of God has been given to us. Look in Second Corinthians chapter three. Hard to imagine. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. That's Paul speaking here. Paul says, this is the confidence that we have, guys. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, right? I have no adequacy whatsoever in myself. And to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Wow. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We have been made adequate to bring out the all-sufficient Scripture of the Gospel, the Word of God. Amazing. Well, that's the power. So we have seen that He is sending them out in pairs, gives the power to them, the authority, and then He starts telling them about His provisions. What a promise is made here by Jesus in that it's kind of good to know okay, well, what do we do when we're out there? How, how do we take care of ourselves? Remember, they've been with Jesus and Jesus can just make food pretty quick sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what, how they ate, probably normal, but we know that He fed the 5,000. You know, He did that on occasion. Um, how, what do we do? We haven't done this thing before. We, we've fished before, but we're not in, uh, necessarily by the seashore here. They're out in strange areas now. Now here we go. In verse 8 through 10, he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey. Now that's interesting to know. Hey, I want you to go out there. I want you to take a trip. And I don't want you to take anything except, and then he'll tell them what, what they are to take. He says, except a mere staff. I want you to take a staff along with you. You know, a, a wooden stick, basically, is what it is. Shepherd's crook or what have you. You know, to help walk with maybe you know through the hills and the, you know it, it is rocky around there where they're going and it's helpful. Also, you you have a lot of kind of bad guys <laughs> out there too, and they're out walking around. And so, if you happen to have something that'll kind of stave them off a little bit, it might help. But I don't want you to take anything else. Now, how would you like to take a trip and not take anything? <laughs> you guys know Carolyn? When we take a trip, we were prepared for anything. I was amazed. There were times when I said, hey, well, we don't need that. And somewhere along that trip, believe me, boy, did that come in handy. I wouldn't admit it, but <laughs> we were prepared. That's, that's probably good. You know, as a matter of fact, that's real good. And I'm so thankful. That I don't think of things like that, you know. I just hey, just get your get your clothes and put a, an extra set of clothes, you know, just in case you get sweaty or something, you know. <laughs> but what is going on here? I don't want you to take anything. I don't want you to take any bread, no food, no bag, no money in your belt. Oh, by the way, you can wear sandals. <laughs> Wear sandal. That's good to know. All right, all right. And he added, uh, "Yeah, you can take one tunic, of course, but don't take an extra one. Don't take two. Well, it might get kind of cool at night. That's usually what they would use that second tunic for. Is like a blanket, a covering. You sleep out there at night. Uh, if you don't have a place to stay, right? And that could happen. He says, "Don't worry about that. Just this is what you do." I think there is a teaching lesson here. I think we're dealing with dependence upon God when you don't have anything. And this would be a test, I think, to all of us today. I mean, we all have have it made pretty good. You know, we have our homes and have it pretty comfortable there. And of course, we have. Uh, cars to drive in. You just think about it. All the clothes in the clothes closet. And then up in the pantry, all the food and the refrigerator. I mean, we're stocked. We're in good shape. We've been, we have enough for the next few days. 
right? Maybe a few weeks, a few years. But he says, as far as provisions, guys, what this is about is you just go out there. Your needs are going to be met. And you know what? It is true. No matter what we have or what we don't have, your needs are met, aren't they? Your needs are always met. And when when we need food, it's there. To them, it was going to be available at some time. I don't know if they just, uh, like on Sunday mornings, if they just show up at a place and biscuits and gravy might be there. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But while they were around Him, they knew they were just fine. He's not going to be with us. They need to know when He ascended back into heaven, which is not going to be long from now, within the next year, Somewhere in that vicinity, he's going to be gone. His body's going to be gone. He's going to be with them in the power of God's Spirit, but he's not going to be with them physically. They need to go out on their own a little bit. This is the way that you train people, isn't it? You get them ready just a little bit. Have nothing to fear here. This is is what we're going to do. This is really what's going to happen whenever I'm gone. That's, I mean, that's simply putting it there like like that in a sense, but it uh, doesn't really say it, but that's kind of the idea. Uh, do you remember he has stated, and he states it many times, ask what you need in my Father's name, and my Father will give it to you. Uh, God takes care of us. So they need to learn this lesson of trust. Now what I want you to do is put yourself into the place of an apostle. And, man, things have been going really pretty good and these crowds have been following. Jesus has really been coming through with His great ministry and you're trusting Him on everything. Now He says, now, go out there. I'm not going to be with you this time. (laughs) How would you feel? What are we going to do? Water. We're going to do for water. Food. food. I can go... I'd probably go quite a few days without food. Hopefully... uh, He's saying, depend on me. Not your wealth. We usually have some extra bucks in the back just in case, right? I've got this to back me up, right? And he's not saying it's wrong to have a few dollars in your pocket. You know, He's not saying specifically here says, okay, from now on, all you Christians, when you go out and witness, I don't want you to own anything. He's not saying that, right? And we know we don't take it that way, but... It's wrong to depend upon our resources. I admit, it's nice to have extra resources. I've got this and I've got that. I can draw upon that if this happens. I mean, you're thinking it through. What happens if this happens? Um, I'm pretty ultra on that a lot of times. and It's good to prepare. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we can depend on our little resources that we have. And um, our comfort, oh, we are always looking for great comfort. I'm talking about air conditioning today, you know. I mean, this is probably nothing, nothing, uh, nothing compared to uh, where we could be. We could be out where the apostles are and it's a 100 degree day. And of course in Israel it's like that, hot and dry. And uh, Jesus kept on ministering, right? But uh, we have to have comfort and sometimes to relinquish that. Just I just can't do that. Uh, and it doesn't mean we have to take a vow of poverty. Don't, don't sell all the things that you have and give it away and all that in that sense. But another sense is that we really don't lack anything. We can think of things that we'd like to have even right now. Wish I'd have that. Wish I'd get this. The thing is, we don't we don't lack anything. It, it, it's all there. He's he's taken care of every need that we have. Every need he, he meets it. So he's going to make sure that they're going to have a place to rest. He's going to make sure that they have a place to to stay. He's going to make sure that they have food, that they have water. He's going to make sure that there's going to be safety and protection because he has sent them out, and he's not going to send them out in the sense that. They're going to come back all beat up, dying. I mean, that could happen, but that's not his plan. It's not going to happen. 
So, you know, God is sovereign, right? And so when He does something, He's going to do what He wants, when He wants. He's going to use us, and if we would just trust rather than bucking back at it, I think we'd be a lot more happier as we would do that. But um, He said, I don't want you to even take any extra money, um, no sword, sell one of your coats there, guys, and, you know, this is, you know, possessions is what we so often get hung up on. And I think if when we go and tell what the gospel is about, and that people have to die to selves, that they have to be able to give themselves up to the Lord, they have to give their sins. I mean, we're dealing with repentance, and we know it's all by grace of God. We know that. But when we hear that gospel, we realize that we have to be willing to give up whatever it is that He wants. And of course, He wants us, you know. And um, when we tell people the gospel, sometimes we like to smooth it over and make it sound a little bit better. You know, so we might forget repentance. We might forget about the things where you forget yourself, take up the cross, uh, forget yourselves. And we know in in the church today there's the get rich scheme. Get rich quick. And if you just send your money to me, I promise that you will be blessed and double your money. That sounds attractive, doesn't it? It's not true. And these early disciples here are probably pretty unattractive have an unattractive word to be speaking. But you know what? They're going to be manifesting divine power. And the likeness of power that Christ had is what they're going to be taking. I think there's a lesson in that for all of us. Because we say, well, we're 2,000 years removed and we can't do... We can't be like they are. They were the disciples. William MacDonald put it like this. So disciples must make a deliberate choice. On the one hand, there is poverty, hunger, tears, and unpopularity for the Son of Man's sake. On the other, there is riches, abundant food, gaiety, and man's approval. Those who choose the latter receive their reward now and remorse later. Those who choose the former inherit the kingdom with all the joys that go with it. So even if there are things that we we give up for comfort's sake or whatever to be able to continue to preach that gospel. Remember where this is all headed, right? Kind of goes along with our first Peter that we've been dealing with on Wednesday night. Contentment. Contentment is what it's about. Guys, you have all you need. He's saying here. First Timothy chapter six, verse six. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godliness is a means of great gain. Godliness, I mean, that's what we want, right? To be like God. And we can do that by being content. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. I take that from Piper. That's a quite a famous quote, but um, well, that does say it all. How is God glorified by our lives the most? What is the biggest way that we glorify God? Being content, content in Him, no matter what the circumstances are. That will glorify God in the biggest way. Well, people who pretend to be healers have multiple jets. Why? Because people who are sick and dying are desperate enough to give them the money under an illusion that somehow they can buy a healing. Under the illusion that somehow they can they can buy that healing and they're blatant about it. Send me your money, you'll get healthy. Send me your money and you'll get rich. And you know what? They're liars. And we know who the father of lies is. It's a prostituted use of the name of Jesus Christ. Whenever ministers say that, 
And I think unbelievers are turned off by the, the TV evangelists who get those rich, get rich quick schemes that they have. And of course, uh, when we look at the man of Nazareth, that he really was penniless, didn't have anything. They try to make it out that he owned multiple suits and had houses all over Israel. Uh, I don't see that in Scripture whatsoever. There were places that he stayed at, but it wasn't all there because of uh, his great wealth. He could have done that, but what's that to him? He didn't need to do that. The uh, apostles in the early church days, they said this, silver and gold have I none. Rise up and walk. Remember that one in Acts? The uh, modern church can say neither. Sometimes we rely on our resources rather than God's supernatural provision. Is that true? I think that's what he's telling them here, that uh, guys you'll be taken care of. And he does. He, he does do that, doesn't he? Well, we have a fourth one here. And he, also, he tells them this, persecution and rejection. starting at verse 11. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. The message is hard. The assumption is the message is too hard. (laughs) The assumption is that calling these highly religious people who have spent their whole life patting themselves on the back, right? These Pharisees and such because they must be favored by God because look at them, they are the chosen Israel. They are the chosen people. And they must be favored by God. They're all going to heaven because they're of Israel. They follow all the ceremonies and all the rituals and all the external acts. And now, this hard sell gospel comes to them. That doesn't make any sense, does it? To Where they are to recognize themselves as sinners... And there is a hell. They're on their way to hell unless they repent. That was a message that was brought to these religious elite people. And in fact, that's what Jesus preached whenever He went into Nazareth the first time. And where'd that get Him? Almost off the cliff. They wanted to kill Him when He, when he preached a sovereign God. And Jesus does tell them, Behold... I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Thanks, Jesus. You're, you're wait a minute. Let's get through. You're a good God, and you're sending me out, who you love so much and have given me so grace and, and so much grace and mercy, and you're sending me out to wolves. Right? Yeah, that's right. And they're gonna. They're going to hand you over to the courts and the synagogues. And the religious people are going to torch you. I mean, man, you don't need to worry about protection. I'll take care of you. And whatever that needs to be said, you'll have my power. You'll remember what was said and you will say it. You don't need to worry about that. It's the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Wow. Sometimes it's not a happy message. It's not going to be received by everybody. In fact, most aren't going to receive this gospel and they're not going to receive it well, usually. Have you tried that lately with a lot of people? Not a lot of people want to hear it, do they? You're going to have to exercise some discernment when you go to some place, some house, some town, wherever you might be thinking about being at, uh, just realize that uh, there's going to be some people that are going to reject you. Just like they rejected me at Nazareth. Remember that lesson on on that? On rejection by His own people? By His own family? Rejection? There was a reason why He went to Nazareth. And then what does He do next according to Mark? He sends out the disciples. 
and tells them, don't take anything, and by the way, you're going to be rejected. <laughs> wow. Am I in the right place? <laughs> well, they know they are. But, oh, that, sounds, that sounds really hard. I'm not trying to look at all the negative of this stuff. It's not negative. But from a human standpoint, it sure seems negative. This doesn't seem right. You know, it seems the opposite. But everything Jesus does, have you noticed, it's always the opposite of mankind. Hey, if you, you know, they don't receive it, if they don't listen to it, just leave. You don't have to drive it down their throats. You know, just, okay, pretty strong instruction here. Make it a testimony against them. And of course, that's, that's where he says, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And that was really symbolizing a Jewish way of rejecting the Gentiles whenever they come from a, a, a Gentile area. Uh, it was a public testimony whenever they would do this. So they, they know what's happening here. Jews often did this with a Gentile village or a, or a city. They went out on a heathen place. They'd shake the dust off as they'd walk out of there. And the Lord is commanding the disciples to do this against the Gentiles? Not really. This is against the Jews. Wait a minute. We missed something? Okay. Shake the dust off your feet. Yeah, we always, we, we've done that before with the Gentiles. No, I'm, I'm talking about Jewish people that reject you. That's what I want you to do. Really? It's interesting. It happens in um, the book of Acts. Look in Acts 13, verse 50. And I, we were in this area earlier in this, this chapter. And we're in a Gentile area. We'll pick it up verse 48. Talking about the good news. And the good news is sent to the Gentiles. Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. I love that verse. You guys like that verse? Whoever had been appointed now believed. Okay. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Hallelujah. But who has animosity? Verse 50. The gospel is spreading out amongst the Gentiles. All the Jews should be excited about this. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Literally drove them out of there. Talking about being kicked out of a place. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them. Not the Gentiles but the Jews that were in a Gentile area. And then they went to Iconium. And look at the the next verse. I love it. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You want to know why? Because they were already told that, listen, there's going to be some people who reject you. And it's because the Gospel is so strong and it's so true that it will convict people and it will make an impact one way or the other. And even though we know the gospel is making an impact there, but even though it's not making it amongst those, those the Jewish people, these guys are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, just filled with it. It's great. I like it. Acts eighteen, verse five. We're we're about done here. Just about done. I think this is rather exciting. <laughs> he gives them these promises and knowing that hey, this is all good. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. (laughs) He shook out his garments. So the same kind of thing is going on there. Uh, And and these are are the Jews. And, of course, the last thing, and, of course, it's the most important thing. Here's why they're really sent out. Uh, Mark 6, 12 and 13. They went out and preached that men 
should repent. There's your obedience to them. They do exactly what Jesus says. They preach. They preach repentance. They were casting out many demons, were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Same thing Jesus has been doing and there they go. And Can you imagine the first person that they might have healed? Can you imagine that they just done what Jesus did and they're believing, okay, well, Jesus said we have this authority and all of a sudden this blind man, let's say, all of a sudden has sight and, and you were part of this? Whoa. Hey, guys, let's keep going. Let's, let's move on. We've got people to go to. You know, The power of God was there. But preaching was their main task. It's about repentance. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist said that. Jesus said that. What do the apostles say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does the church say today? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were to preach the gospel. Preaching led to the expulsion of demons and healing of the sick. And they needed to be prepared to preach judgment. Judgment is a part of the gospel. They've got to see their need. And uh, people need to hear there's a sense of urgency, a big sense of urgency that, uh, that is brought there. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city that rejects Christ. If they, if they hear the gospel, they've heard it over and over, and they know about it, they're going to be held more responsible than some people that, are just, that have done more wicked acts. We have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible in their hands that they took out. So he says, preach repentance. As soon as it says they preach repentance, it's now a confrontive message, isn't it? Now we're confronting and we're going exactly to where it has to go. It's a bold message, folks, but it is the best news that there is. There is nothing on earth, education-wise, government-wise, you name it, there is nothing better than that Gospel. And they demonstrated the power. They actually did it. Cast out the demons. What kind of power is that? Heal the sick. And Wow. Jesus is training them to bring forth the truth of who He is. That's what He does to us. And so we may we be better witnesses of this truth also. Let's pray.